Our text is found in the book of Acts, chapter 16 today, and so I invite you to find that in your Bibles or in the Bibles in front of you, or you can follow along on the screens as we continue our sermon series, Surprise, um, God Finding Us in the Most Unexpected Places and Persons. And so we've been walking together through Acts during this season, and we'll continue with our story for today. Chapter 16, reading verses 6 through 15. They, Apostle Paul and his companions, went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. When they had come opposite of Messiah, they attempted to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Messiah, they went down to Troas. And during the night, Paul had a vision. There stood a man of Macedonia pleading with him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. When he had seen the vision, we immediately tried to cross over to Macedonia, being convinced that God had called us to proclaim the good news to them. We therefore set sail from Troas and took a straight course to Samothrace, the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city for some days. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate by the river, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had gathered there. A certain woman named Lydia, a worshiper of God, was listening to us. She was from the city of Thyatira and a dealer in purple cloth. The Lord opened her heart to listen eagerly to what was said by Paul. When she and her household were baptized, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come and stay at my home. And she prevailed upon us. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. And now, God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts together be acceptable and pleasing to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, the year before I was called to serve here on the staff at First Baptist Church, I served as a counselor for at-risk high school students in the Jefferson City Public Schools. And I had a caseload of about 115 and 16-year-olds who um, were identified by their middle school teachers at being at risk of dropping out of high school for a variety of factors. Some of those factors were that they had missed a lot of school or had failed more than one course. Maybe they'd had suspensions or detentions. Maybe they had older siblings who had dropped out of school as well, and, and there was more. And when they had several of those factors, they ended up on my caseload, and my objective was to walk with them and to do everything I could to help them overcome those barriers and those challenges and to break that cycle and to graduate from high school. Now, I had a deep compassion and a love for these students going on these particular journeys. But despite that, their lives could not have been more different than my own. Even though we grew up in the same city, their childhood and their experiences were night and day from mine own. We may have walked in the same hallways and walked on the same city sidewalks, but we walked in very different shoes. 
I was full of love and eagerness to help them as their counselor. And I was also full of ignorance. There was a lot I did not know. Ours were different worlds, different cultures, different challenges, different experiences. And the only way that I could become the counselor that they needed and deserved was to be humble and to be curious and to be open, praying that God's Spirit would grant me wisdom as I walked with them in this journey that was way outside what was comfortable and familiar to me. Well, that year, God sent me a teacher by the name of Homer. Homer was also employed by the school district, and part of our work together was to go find these students that were on my caseload who had missed too much school. It was before they could drop out of age, and so we needed them to be there. And so we would drive together around town. And we were a bit of an odd couple. Homer was older, and I was still kind of a mere baby, a young 20-something learning lots. Homer had had several careers, and I was fresh out of college with a degree and a dream. Homer was black, and I was white. Homer was this large, athletic guy, and I well, was not a large, athletic guy. Homer understood more of the world of my students than I ever could. And he became my teacher that year. He was generous and very patient with me. As I rode along in his truck with these unfamiliar neighborhoods and sat in living rooms of buildings I'd never been in, in the city I've lived my whole life, I listened and I learned. And Homer created the safe place for me to ask questions and to uh, even share my ignorance. And he didn't ever shame me for that even though some of my questions were pretty naive. And he would often answer my questions with a Jesus-type question. You know, the kind of question that's not the answer, but it's the answer. And that year, I learned a tremendous amount of him from him, and I became a better counselor and a better humor, human, thanks to Homer. My plan in and out of college was not to become a counselor for at-risk high school kids. I studied to be a high school history teacher, which I did for four years. But in the context of the classroom and working with teenagers and coming across teenagers who had very different experiences from me, the Spirit opened my heart to them and led me outside my plans, my preferences, even my people, to join in what God was doing. Have you ever had your next steps in life all planned out only to run into some detours or roadblocks or changes to the travel plan? Have you ever found yourself in places and relationships outside your plans and your preferences and your experiences? Our graduates today, some of them are going to be very excited because they're going to their first choice university to pursue the dream they've always dreamed about pursuing. And there are some other graduates whose plans change. And they're going and doing something different than what they had planned, either because of scholarships or opportunities or because doors close that they still don't understand why. And adults, when we look at these young graduates today full of hopes and dreams, we recall our own hopes and dreams as graduates one time ago, 
some of us a long, long time ago. And yet we also have the perspective of years of twists and turns, open and closed doors, hopes and disappointments as well. I'm always fascinated when I see these uh, photoshopped images of, of actors and people with their younger selves and their older selves, like this one of Jennifer Aniston. They photoshopped a picture of her when she was young with her current uh, photo. Or this one of Tom Selleck. I think these are fascinating, and every time I look at them, I imagine all the years and the dreams between the two life stages. And I wonder, what would older Tom tell younger Tom about life ahead? About the twists and the turns, the surprises, the hopes, the disappointments, the lessons learned. And I wonder, what would you say to your younger self? What has surprised you about your life, good and bad? How has God surprised you? Because God often surprises us in the most unexpected places and people. This is a major theme of the book of Acts in the New Testament. During the season of Eastertide this year, we, these seven Sundays beginning on Easter, we're walking together through the Acts of the Apostles. And we are witnessing the fruit of the resurrection and the power of the Holy Spirit at work in spreading the gospel. And in the book of Acts, God's spirit moves as it chooses and pays no heed to plans and preparations and patterns. God smashes every barrier to God's dream, as we read last week in the story of Cornelius. And God establishes barriers that divert from God's dream, as we have read in the story today of Paul and Lydia and Paul's second missionary journey. Listen to verse 6 from our text today, being forbidden by the Holy Spirit. And verse 7, the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. See, Paul had a plan to go to Asia, yet the Spirit of God prevents them from going there. Paul runs into barrier after barrier to his plan on where to go next to proclaim Christ. And Luke, the author, doesn't give us much more than this. And so I wonder, what did God's prevention look like? I mean, when did they understand this to be the work of the Spirit versus just another travel headache or flight cancellation? Was it as they were living the moment with some deep conscious awareness that the Holy Spirit was changing the plan? Or was it as often in my case, as they reflected in hindsight, and they could see where God brought them through and could understand how the Spirit was at work. Maybe it was a little of both. This experience with barriers was not the exception to Paul's journeys, but it was the rule. Our former pastor, Doyle Sager, used to say that Paul's missionary journeys looked like the tracks of a drunken squirrel. Now, I've never seen the tracks of a drunken squirrel, and as far as I know, I've never seen a drunk squirrel either. But I imagine if I did, the tracks would not make sense. But it's not just the tracks that look crazy. It's the destination as well. The story of the early church takes these first missionaries outside the circle of the known and the comfortable, the way things have always been done and outside of who was in and who was out. 
The Spirit of God continually leads them outside, outside their plans, outside their preferences, outside their people. The Spirit prevented Paul and his companions from going to Asia as they had planned and instead gives Paul a new vision of a man pleading to them to come to Macedonia. Paul shares the vision with his companions and the community agrees this is from God, this is our next step, this is the GPS location. And so they get up and they head to Europe, a brand new place outside of where they had been and outside of where they had planned to go. And they arrive in the city of Philippi. And they remain there for some days. We don't know how long. And they're waiting, waiting on the next step from God. And while they wait, they're praying. And they're waiting, and they're walking, and they're waiting, and they're worshiping, and they're waiting. And on the Sabbath, it says in verse 13, they went outside the gate by the river. They were looking for a place to pray together. And Paul usually went to the local synagogues whenever he would arrive to a new town and go to those Jewish communities to share about Jesus Christ. And we don't know exactly why he went to the river that day, but more than likely in this Roman colony there wasn't a synagogue yet. Maybe there weren't ten Jewish men yet in that community to establish one. But committed to Sabbath worship, Paul and his companions seek out a place and daily practice of that, and they go down by the river And at this frontier of sorts, they find a group of women, and among them, a woman named Lydia. Now, we don't know a lot about Lydia, but what we do know is significant. Lydia is the head of her household, it appears. She's an independent, wealthy businesswoman. She is a worshiper of God. And although a man spoke to Paul in his vision to come to Macedonia he encounters a woman instead. Now, before Paul was a follower of Jesus Christ, he had been a very zealous, committed Pharisee, an upholder of the law, and a persecutor of the church. And to a Pharisee, there were very strict laws separating men and women, laws Paul would have known. Paul gathering with them shows that Paul has clearly discarded these laws because of his new life in Christ. Paul sits to address the women, which is what a teacher would do during that time. They sat to teach. And in that ancient world, a teacher of the law would never have dressed women this way. And including this story, Luke stresses that his central theme throughout Acts, that God is working through the church outside and across every possible barrier. Social and cultural barriers crumble as this first European convert to Christianity, a woman, experiences life-changing relationship with Christ and each other. Lydia's transformation begins immediately. The spirit of hospitality overcomes her. She's baptized along with her household, and she opens up her home and her life to the mission of Christ. And her hospitality to Paul is evidence of her conversion and her faithfulness to the Lord. And if Paul agrees, Lydia insists, then they will stay with her. And Paul agrees. Philippi was outside Paul's proposed plan. The riverbank was outside Paul's preferred place. Lydia was outside Paul's predictable people. 
Lydia and Paul's story might look like the tracks of a drunken squirrel, but they are the tracks of those who follow the Spirit over a script. Their story, powered by God's Spirit, resulted in the first Christian convert and the first Christian church in Europe. And from the time it was established, the church there in Philippi thrived, becoming a really generous partner with Paul and others in sharing the gospel. Right now, life to you might look like the tracks of a drunken squirrel. But perhaps the Spirit of God is at work in those tracks, leading you and me outside. Outside of our plans, our preferences, our places, even our people, to join God's redemptive work in our world, in another, and even in ourselves. How can we prepare ourselves to be open to the Spirit when he's leading and telling us where God would like us to go outside. And here are a few lessons I think that we might learn from Paul and Lydia's story, both for us as individuals and as a congregation. The first is to be open to the Spirit. We used to have a funny saying when we would uh, have high school dances and those things, and it's like, always leave room for the Holy Spirit. Right? To get people close together dancing, leave room for the Holy Spirit. Well, maybe that idea would work for us in life as well. Leave room or create space for the Spirit. Don't get so close to our plans and our preferences that the Spirit can't be present. For Paul, his commitment to the daily practices and rhythms of prayer and Sabbath worship helped him stay open. Paul was able to be led outside by God through the daily rhythms that created space for the Spirit to speak and for Paul to respond. This is the gift of prayer, of scripture study, of worship together, of service, of solitude. It is in Paul's obedience to Sabbath worship that God leads him to meet Lydia. And so who knows what God has planned for you today as you join and worship together. The second thing is to be open to failure. Paul and his companions tried several things before they finally get the message to go to Macedonia. It was in their steps, even their missteps, that God was able to direct their paths. And I think sometimes we think our missteps disqualify us or get us so far off track. But there is nowhere that you can go and there's no choice that you can make that God cannot work in your life and reach you and allow you to join him in God's redemptive work. You see, we're more likely to discover God's will by going and doing than sitting and waiting. So don't be afraid to move. And don't be afraid to fail. God works through both. Third, be open to people. You see, without the work of the Spirit in the lives of Paul and Lydia, it would have been difficult for them to bridge the cultural differences and to build a relationship. And as our world becomes more interconnected, we too must find ways to express generosity and hospitality to people that are different than us, that have different experiences than us. We need to be willing to find a homer 
who allows us to ride along with them in life and ask ignorant questions and to learn and to help us understand the experiences of, of, experiences of people that we do not uh, share. We need to find a Paul or be like Paul whose devotion to Christ led him outside the old laws into the new ways that God was working among the marginalized and the outsiders. You see, what God did through Lydia, a woman and a Gentile, was revolutionary. So what is God doing today that's revolutionary? Where there's an invitation for us to join God. And fourth, be open to opportunities along the way. Remember, the story of Paul and Lydia is a mission story. And so are our lives. If we're looking for guidance only on questions about location or vocation, we may miss God's open doors. God has commanded us as his followers to make disciples. But it doesn't mean we stop being accountants and athletes or actors. It means that along the way we are open to God's gifts and the open doors to sharing the gospel. So when God's leading doesn't necessarily make sense, or it takes us to strange places or persons, or even when it leads to suffering, as we'll learn about in Paul's life next Sunday, perhaps the Spirit is inviting us to look for the opportunities in those circumstances. Where is the Spirit of God leading you and me outside our plans? Where is the Spirit of God leading this congregation outside its preferences? May we create space for the Spirit to lead us outside so we might experience the joy and the power of God's life-changing work in others and in ourselves. Let's pray together. God of dreams and Lord of visions, forgive us for refusing to budge sometimes for being afraid of letting go of our plans and our preferences when you have called us to something new. Forgive us for having more faith in our scripts than your spirit, God. Grant us, Lord, the ability to discern your voice above all others, even our own. And give us courage to take leaps of faith outside of what is familiar and known. Help us to trust that you have doors still to open when it seems all are closed. God who sees what we cannot see, keep our eyes and hearts open to opportunities to proclaim the love and the grace of Jesus Christ as we walk faithfully and obediently with you each day. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.